Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Can we put our hands together one more time for those 21 people? that just went public with their faith. Come on, you can do better than that. Isn't that awesome? So good what God is doing. I'm super excited to be here today. Um, We started a brand new series last week called Fortify. Um, How many of you enjoyed week one talking about lively stones? Let me ask it another way. Where's my Joel's at? I got some Joel. Where's my Isaiah's? Some of you are like, I don't know what he means. You have to go back and listen to that one. Uh, But today we're going to dive into part two of the series. I'm super excited about this series. As I said last week, I haven't been this excited about a series in a long time because we're taking the opportunity to uh, talk about strengthening our relationship with Christ. Uh, And we know from last week, the Joels and the Isaiahs have to celebrate one another. And if you're one of the Joel people and you're passionate and lively, you have to work a little bit on becoming more solid and stable. But if you're an Isaiah person and you're solid and stable, sometimes you got to work a little bit on becoming more lively and passionate. But at the end of the day, however you lean, we need to celebrate one another. We balance one another. And God is using both groups to build a spiritual house that reflects him. Amen. That's what it's all about. Um, Today, um, before I give you the title, actually, I'm going to give you the title. I'm going to talk to you about the seven rhythms the seven rhythms. And I want to be intentional throughout the series, but even today, I want to stop and just say one of the things I'm most excited about is that we truly are raising up disciples here at Bethesda Church. We're raising up people are getting saved. They're getting baptized. They're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. They're getting set free. They're serving. And I think it's really important that that we emphasize that because Jesus did not say go into the world and create converts. He said go into the world and make disciples. And so we're seeing disciples um, come up within our congregation and, and people are getting on fire for God. And truly God is doing something remarkable in our church right now. And I think it's important that we we bring attention to that because If not, if discipleship is not the goal, then I think we fall into the temptation of becoming a cultural Christian. And what I mean by cultural Christian is that we add Jesus to our life. But any message that just says Jesus is an add-on is not the gospel. We don't add Jesus to our lives. We actually lay our lives down, pick up our cross, and follow him, submit our life to his life. How many know that's the gospel? I'm already, oh yeah. This is going to be good. going to be real good. But I want to talk to you about the seven rhythms. Everybody say the seven rhythms. With the seven rhythms, we're going to be looking at the New Testament church, about seven rhythms they had that they were disciplined in, and let me say about the seven rhythms, these are not things you're going to outgrow. These are not things you're going to make uh, a part of your life, and then you're going to mature and graduate. These are rhythms that you're going to have in your life as a disciple of Christ until you step in 
to eternity. And so I'm going to look real quick at our definition of fortify one more time. It says to protect or strengthen against attack, to surround or provide with defensive military works, to furnish with a means of resisting force or standing strain or wear, to make strong, to impart strength or vigor to, to increase the effectiveness of, as by additional ingredients, to strengthen mentally or morally. The seven rhythms that we're going to be talking about were modeled by the early church, and we see it clearly in the book of Acts, and and specifically Acts chapter number 2, And by committing to these seven rhythms, then we can begin to see the life change we want to see as individuals, Um, and also we can continue to grow in our relationship with God. Now, one of the things you have to take note of when it comes to the seven rhythms is that many of these uh, were practiced in community. In other words, they don't work outside of community. They don't work all by yourself. And, and so there's an importance and, and there needs to be, we need to feel the tension of needing to be in community as we practice the, these disciplines. Now, one of the things the writer of, of, of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12, he said, we set our eyes on Jesus. How many know we are building all of this on Jesus? We set our eyes on him. The writer of Colossians, he tells us that we are to put our roots in the truth of God's word. So we put our eyes on Jesus and our roots in the truth of God's word. And this is the concept of fortifying your relationship with Christ. Now, before I go to Acts 2, I want to go to a foundational scripture that Jesus, that we learned from Jesus out of Matthew's gospel, chapter number 7, starting in verse number 24. And Jesus talking, he said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and they put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is showing us the importance of fortifying our relationship with him. He is the foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. We are building on Jesus if you would, you could remember the, the conversation Jesus had with his disciples when he, when he asked them. He said one day, he, he said, who do men say that I am? And they began to throw out all kinds of answers. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the other prophets. And, and Jesus got real specific with them. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And loudmouth Peter, who sometimes got it wrong, this time he got it right. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus stopped him and said, Peter, you have said correctly. And he went on to say, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And I love that because we have to understand he was not building his church on Peter. He was building his church on the revelation Peter had. And that revelation was that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the Son of God. And I want to make sure we're all real clear. We're not building on me. We're not building on you. We're not even building on Peter. How many of you are thankful today we're building on a solid foundation and his name is Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone. That's who we're building on. And so he said, I'm going to build my church based on this revelation. And there's a couple of things here that are very important. One being, you've got to have a revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And then secondly, you've got to do what he says. Hebrews 12, our eyes on him. Colossians 3, our roots in the truth. It's, it's past time to be hearers only. How many know we have to be doers? He said to, he, he who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he, he says the end of that is that the house collapses. The crash is great. And it's not because they didn't have what they needed, it's because they didn't use what they had. They did not put into practice what they had heard from the word of God. And so these seven rhythms of the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, Jesus being the foundation, we're going to hit these seven things, and some of this is going to be, praise the Lord, that's good preaching. Some of this is going to be, that hurt. But of the seven rhythms, number one, the first rhythm of the early church was repentance. And this one's very, very important, and I'm very passionate about repentance because John the Baptist showed up to announce Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus, and his message was a message of repentance. That's what he preached. And then Jesus came along, and the one who had been preparing the way for Jesus stops, and he points and says, there's the one I've been talking to y'all about. That's the one I've been preaching about. He said, that's the one I, I'm unworthy to, to even, you know, lace up his sandals. I, and he's the one. And Jesus preached the same message John preached, which was repentance. That was the message. You continue to follow the story of, of repentance. John the Baptist did it. Jesus did it, did it. And then he died. He got up. He ascended into the heavens. And we know that the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is poured out. Their hearts are set on fire for God. There was such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the people experiencing this outpouring, the people around them thought of them as being drunk. They were set on fire by the presence and power of God. And Peter stood up in the midst of all of this, and he began to tell them, hey, they're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, but this is that that my, 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 the prophet Joel spoke about. Where are my Joel people? Joel prophesied in Acts chapter 2. He's reiterating what Joel said, 17 and 18. He said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Does anyone believe we're living in that moment right now? God is pouring out his spirit on the earth right now. Revival's not coming down the road. Revival is here right now. We're not prophesying down the road. We're prophesying right now. I need somebody to put a little faith in the room that this is happening now. 
So many of us say, and we waiting on God. No, we ain't waiting on God. He already poured out the Holy Ghost. He already poured out his spirit. And so Peter continues after he says they're not drunk, and then we get to see his message. John preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. And now Peter's preaching. Verses 37 through 39 says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I am so thankful for this promise today. The promise that we're forgiven, the promise that we can experience the fullness of God, through Jesus Christ, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this promise goes beyond my individual life. The promise goes on to my children. So the message of John was repentance. The message of Jesus was repentance. And the message of the early church was repentance. Jesus saves all those who calls upon his name, but we, have, we can't move past repentance. Repentance means a change of direction. It means a change of mind. And, and I'm going to be real honest with you. I've been in the ministry over 20 years, and repentance is still a rhythm in my heart. You're not going to get to a place where you no longer need repentance. As a matter of fact, we should all probably on a daily basis, take inventory of our heart, inventory of our life, inventory of our mind. What are we thinking about? What are we confessing? And, and if we see things in our life that are not in alignment with the word of God, we're not asking God to change. We're repenting of our behavior and we're changing directions because it's not about him conforming to our will. It's about us conforming to his will and repentance has to be a priority. Confession is good for the soul, but it's not repentance. Repentance means you change. It means that you turn around. It, it means that you go in the opposite direction. And I'm going to be hard because 9 a.m., I, honestly, I whipped them. So many people want everything God has while living in blatant sin. come to church, lift their hands, sing songs, out here living like the devil. And if you say anything about it, you're the bad person. Like there is no standard, no bar. Listen, if you think that the gospel message is you live however you want, any way you want, and you're cool with God, you have heard the wrong message. That is not the gospel. The gospel is you repent, you change. We got a weak gospel being preached in this nation where people feel comfortable literally living in sin, living in it. And if you call them out, they'll say you're judgmental. No, you living like the devil. 
and you're confessing Jesus and you're confusing people because they're watching you raise your hands on Sunday and then live like the devil all week long. You're confusing people. David was considered, watch this, he was considered a man after God's own heart. And I, I was at a conference earlier this year, and the, the minister was talking about David loving God, and he's man after God's own heart. And he said, I was struggling because I read about David and man after God's own heart, adulterer, liar, murderer. All those things were in David's life. It's how can he be a man after God's own heart? And then he answered the question. He said, when you read the life of David, what you find in David is that every time he did mess up. The one thing David was always good at was owning up to his mistake, confessing his sin, and not just confessing it, repenting. David prayed prayers like, create in me a clean heart, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit away from me. God, I have missed the mark. Listen, just because you sin, I don't want you to think if you miss the mark that this church is going to judge you, but I am going to say, we expect you to own it say, my bad, I repent, and let's move on down the field. I should have a witness right there. I mean, all right, this is going over real well. Number two, number two, testimony. The New Testament church had a rhythm of repentance. They had a rhythm of testimony. Um, your story needs to be shared. What God has done for you needs to be shared. The New Testament church had a rhythm of sharing their story. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. They received the promise. Peter began preaching. His theology was on point. It was solid. It was strong. But in that message, he was also sharing his experience. He was sharing what God was doing, not only in his life, but what God was doing in the local church. He was sharing his experience. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a story to share. You have something to share. You have something to tell people. You, if Jesus has saved you, if he's forgiven you, if he's healed your body, if he's put your marriage back together, if he brought a prodigal home, if one of your kids got baptized today, you've got a story to share. You've got a story to tell. How many are thankful that we have a story to tell? You've got a testimony. And, it, and it's important that we share our story. One of the greatest gifts we can give another individual is our story of what God has done for us. Simply telling them what Jesus has done in our life. We all have stories of transformation. We, we have stories of life change. The, the book of Revelation says that, we sang about it earlier, we're made overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. How much word is in the story you tell? How much God is in the story you tell? I like to think of it, I, I like sports, you know, judge me if you want to, but I like sports. Um, I think sports teaches a lot of great lessons, like how to win. It also teaches you how to lose and have a good attitude. I don't think, don't, don't throw any, I don't think every kid should get a trophy. I'm old school. You got to win the game. Like, I, that's just me. Win the game. Earn it. Right? And, and I think in the sports realm, we're, we're real good at like if somebody wins the MVP, they win the Super Bowl, and we celebrate that. But the following year, 
Um, you know what everybody's saying? That was last year. You need to update your resume. And I just felt impressed on some people today to tell you it's time that you update your testimony. You've been telling the same testimony for the last 42 years. Yes, tell the stories of what God did 42 years ago, but you ought to be able to say what God is doing currently in your life. You should have an updated testimony. What is God doing in your life? What is God speaking to you and your family? What is God doing in this season? Sharing their story was a rhythm of the early church. They had repentance, they had testimony, or sharing their story. Number three, they had daily devotion. This is more than just Sunday devotion. You should be, de you should be devoted on Sundays in church. If, you don't, if you're not sick or you're not at work, I, I firmly believe it is God's will for you to be in church every Sunday. I believe it is God's will. It's biblical. It's the right thing to do. It honors God. It establishes his kingdom in the earth. It places his kingdom as a priority in your family and for your children. It helps fortify your relationship with Christ. All of those things are true. Sundays are important, but equally important is daily devotion. Daily devotion. There's a reason why Jesus taught us in what we call the Lord's Prayer. I, I call it the Disciples' Prayer. Because Jesus already knew how to pray. He was teaching them how to pray. And he taught them, he said, give us this day our daily bread. We need daily bread. Every single day we need the bread of God's word. Every day we need to place priority on the word of God. In Acts chapter 2, it says every day, this is verse 46, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Through his word, God equips us with all we need to, to know him and to learn about him, but also to live a life that is pleasing to him. A daily rhythm of reading, meditating, and applying God's word is key for our life to be fortified in Christ. This year, I've said so many different times, we just need to get back to the Bible. Y'all heard, how many has heard me say that this year? Let's just get back to the Bible. Let's take the confusion out of it. Let's take the feelings out of it. Let's take the emotion out of it. Let's take what your mama said out of it. Let me just keep praying. Let's take what your daddy said out of it. Let's take history out of it. Let's just get back and see what the Bible says. And then let's do what the Bible says. Let's do what the Bible says. And that's an intentional decision. It means that, that we're not coming back to our opinions, our feelings, our personality, our history. We're coming back to the Bible in the way we act, the way we love, the way we respond, the way we live. What does the Bible say? They lived by God's word. The next thing is prayer. Prayer was a rhythm of the New Testament church. Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship. I don't know why I feel impressed to say this, but I'm going to say it. They, they were devoted to teaching. It's great to have church and, and lay hands on each other and cast devils out and heal the sick, but how many know sometimes we need to sit down and get taught? Like we need to write down some notes. My Isaiah people would say, amen, praise the Lord. My Joel people say, hey, we ain't got time for that. We got to run, Right? 
But, but we, we need to be taught. They, they, they leaned in. And, and they were listening to the apostles' teaching, and, and they had fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to this. One of the most important elements in any relationship is communication. It's why the enemy fights so hard to, to fight communication in all your relationships that matter. Relationship with your spouse. He wants to get involved in that communication. Relationship with your kids. And also, he wants to mess up your communication, that relationship with God. And so communication is, is so important. Prayer is so important when it comes to your relationship with God. And, and it's as simple as engaging in a conversation with Jesus, that you talk to Jesus, you share your heart with him, you share your mind with him, you share your frustrations with him, you you. you, you uh, pray scriptures out loud, whatever you got to do to communicate. But here's the cool thing about prayer. If you'll be quiet long enough, God will speak back. God will, God will impress on your heart and on your mind. Make prayer your first response, not your last resort. I'm going to say this about prayer. Prayer is not talent. Some of us treat prayer like athleticism. Well, I wasn't born with any athleticism. You know, we look at people that pray powerful prayers and we look at them like they're an athlete or got musical talent. No, they've just spent a lot of time in the presence of God and they've learned how to communicate. If you'll take the time, instead of treating it like a talent, and you'll take time to prioritize your relationship with God through prayer, I promise you in six months, your prayer life won't look anything like it did before if you will take the time and be intentional and prioritize prayer. They devoted themselves to it. Prayer is simply talking with God and, and listening to God. You hear some people will say things like, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray, as if that's a bad thing. How many know if prayer is all you got left to do, you got everything you need then? Prayer is not the last resort. Prayer is the first response. Prayer overcomes anxiety and fear. Prayer keeps us anchored in the truth. Prayer helps us maintain an eternal perspective. Prayer frees us from circumstantial worries and temporary trials. Prayer connects us with God. Prayer keeps our faith alive. If prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian faith, then many believers are anemic. They're anemic because we don't prioritize prayer. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, pray more. And hit him back and say, complain less. I, I'm just going to get out on a ledge here and just venture to say that if you would pray half as much as you complained, your life would probably look like Superman did after the phone booth. Come on, y'all. Y'all in this place? I feel like 11 o'clock, y'all the late group. Y'all supposed to be a little more lively. Prayer. We got to prioritize prayer. It's a, it's a rhythm. Number five, sacrificial generosity. Acts 2, 44 and 45. It says all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. See, giving demonstrates our dependence on God. It's what giving shows. It shows us that everything comes from God. We're not afraid to give it away. 
I mean, could you imagine if we lived like the early church did? People were selling their properties to distribute the funds to the people in the church to make sure that everybody had what they needed. Now, we think about that, and we're the kind of people that when a pandemic hits, we're not thinking about how to bless our neighbor. We're thinking about how can I go to Walmart first, buy every piece of toilet paper they own, and hide it all in my closet. I'm going to keep it all. I'm going to, I'm going to hoard beans and rice and toilet paper. I'm going to hoard it. And, and some of us, we read scriptures like this, and I, I, I get a kick out of people that don't tithe and, and they speak against tithing. It's like, if you only understood, tithing is the minimum requirement. They were selling their houses and giving it all away. Like, we, we talk to you about tithing and people are like, I ah, bless God, church just wants my money. You wouldn't have survived in this church. The New Testament church, they gave it all. In the midst of losing their families, persecution, not having enough, they were giving it all away. And we struggle just to bring God the first 10%. And if we see someone in need, not call the church, but just meet the need because we are the church. Somebody ought to clap right there. You're preaching good, Pastor Chad. You're doing, doing a good job. We're blessed to be a blessing. By nature, by nature, we are, our old nature, we're selfish. Our old nature is selfish. You don't have to teach a four-year-old how to be selfish. They come in, mine, mine, mine. You take it, they scream, smack, it's mine. What are they? They're selfish. But they come into the world that way. We all come in and, and we're selfish. But when we get saved, y'all, we, we've got to start measuring, are we looking like Jesus? I mean, at the end of the day, is our life changed at all? Or, or did we just say a prayer and then we go back and we live the exact same way we were living before, just as stingy, just as selfish, living, just adding Jesus as a piece to the puzzle instead of making him the Lord of our life. And if he says, I want it all, we would be willing to give it all. How many would say you got some growing to do? Some of y'all, no, I got it, I got it, I'm good. I'm good. Sacrificial generosity. Look at what Philippians 2 says. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Notice that he did not say, freak out and hoard supplies. It's not in there. He doesn't say that. They were under extraordinary persecution, losing homes, families, and even their lives, and they did not freak out and hoard up beans, rice, and toilet paper. They were still taking an interest in the whole body. As the body of Christ, we are to put others first. We got repentance, testimony, daily devotion, prayer, sacrificial generosity, all rhythms of the early church. Number six, they serve the community. Serve the community. We are called and equipped by the Holy Spirit to share in the ministry of Jesus. We're all 
supposed to be serving. Every person in this room should be serving. That you look like Jesus when you serve. Every single week, you have an opportunity to serve in your local church. You should be serving. Everybody should be serving at this church. Everybody. And not only should you be serving in this church, you should be serving every single day you have an opportunity to serve. That serving is who we are. It's what we do. It's what makes us look like Christ. God has given us the five-fold ministry. Ephesians chapter 4. You know, my job description is pretty simple if you go from the Bible. The problem is I'm in America. The Bible definition of what I'm supposed to do is to equip you to go do the work. That's my job. And a lot of times we think, well, the staff or the paid people at the church are the ones who are paid to do the job. No, they're actually paid to equip you to do the job. We get it upside down. In other words, we all should be serving. We should all be furthering the cause of Christ. It it is a New Testament rhythm in the church. It was something they prioritized. Take an opportunity to serve. Find a way. You say, well, pastor, if I sign up to serve, I'll have to serve every week. No, you don't have to serve every week. Just every other week. We're not going to wear you out. We, we, we actually tell our staff, our team leaders, people here to, you know, let people serve one, worship one. Let them serve one week and have a week off. We, we want that kind of atmosphere because I know that you need to be able to come in. How many know you, you need to be able to come in, worship Jesus, and get a word from God for your life and for your family? How many know that's important? It's important. So there's a trade-off. You don't need to be serving every time, but you should be serving some of the time. The last rhythm is the worship team comes, and I don't know if it'll help me land the plane or not, but the last rhythm is worship. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I read that verse. I'd been working on this for a couple weeks, just this message. And I read that verse this morning and reminded me, how many of y'all had a crazy week this week? Anybody have a crazy week? Like one of those weeks that was just, I had a crazy week. Um, And I read that verse. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And it stuck out to me for couple different reasons one you can see right here in that verse they're praising God enjoying the favor they were having a good time serving Jesus and I thought about that and I I thought how many Christians seem like they've been baptized in pickle juice that's what my pastor used to tell me growing up you look like you've been baptized in pickle juice Never forget that. And sometimes we're going through this life and we're, we're not, we don't have joy. We're not, not experiencing the favor of God. We're not celebrating. We're not praising God. We, we don't have a smile on our face. And it's like, if you don't have any joy at all, 
and you don't have anything to be thankful of or for, then that tells me we, we, if, that's, if that's our truth, then that means we're doing something wrong. Because the scripture says that the joy of the Lord is our strength and that we should have peace. And what I've learned is that when you're in a, in a healthy place with God, I read this scripture yesterday at, at a funeral. And I want you guys to continue to pray for the Dolan family. But I read this scripture out of Romans chapter 12 that, that tells us that we, as the people of God, should be ready and willing to laugh with those who are happy. But we should also be willing to cry with those that are hurting. And I thought about how many times are we in such a bad place that we can't even sympathize with others because we have our own mess we're trying to filter through. We're trying to work through our own issues and we struggle to, to laugh when people are in a good place or to cry when people are hurting, to, to, to have compassion on people and to love them in a way that, that honors God. And I think this whole concept of worship, of practicing the presence of God and that we are called to practice God-centered worship is important. In the Old Testament, they had a concept of build, building altars is what they did. They would build altars and they would build that altar and they would oftentimes bring things and throw it on the altar physically, like physically put it on the altar. And we read about times in scripture when God's presence or the fire of God would come and consume the sacrifice. And I, as I, I, I thought about that, in Genesis 35, Jacob built this altar. And the Bible says that when he built the altar, that the terror of God fell on all the towns around him and no one pursued him or pursued them. And it tells me that when we worship, we actually fortify our relationship with God. And it can literally, your worship can stop the enemy in his tracks is what we learn from that that the enemy can be stopped. And, and listen, worship is so much more than songs and clapping and, you know, raising hands. Worship is a lifestyle. It is the way we treat other people. It is the way we do our job, our career, the way we do things as unto the Lord. It's all worship. As I was preparing early this morning and praying through this, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to tell the people to be careful not to idolize their personality, not to idolize their emotions and their feelings. So many times we say things like, well, my personality is not that. And we make this built-in excuse for something the word tells us to do. I, I did it for years. For years I said, my personality is I don't like conflict. But Jesus says, go have the conflict. Go do what you say your person. I, I got a choice to make that I either worship my personality or I throw my personality on the altar to worship him. Well, I feel this way, pastor. No, you put your feelings on the altar and you sacrifice your feelings and your opinions in honor because we're not worshiping you. We're not worshiping your feelings. We're not worshiping your opinions. Your opinions can't get anybody up. Your, your opinions can't change a life. Your, your feelings can't turn somebody's life around. I've got to sacrifice my personality, my feelings, my opinions on the altar. And when I do that, I, 
God will consume it with his presence. And I told the first service, I believe that there are people in this room today that as you put some things on the altar, I feel that the Holy Spirit is about to light a fire in your heart that you've never experienced before. And it may be a big sacrifice. It may be a big step to put that thing on the the altar, whether it be a feeling or this out of a personality or this opinion that you've had and it keeps you in this terrible cycle that if you will put it on the altar, God says, I'll consume it. My presence will show up. I'll meet you. Listen, anything you offer to God in a sacrifice becomes worship. That's why I'm not impressed with this. But I am impressed when I know people are going through hell and they come in with this. I mean, there's a sacrifice of praise. There are Sundays I stand there and it's a sacrifice to praise. It's hard to praise. There's things that I may be going, and it's, it's not easy. I've got to throw everything that I think out the window, and it's a sacrifice of praise. And I'm saying that anything we offer to God as a sacrifice, that becomes worship. And worship was a rhythm of the New Testament church, and worship is a rhythm of Bethesda church We're going to do all the things that we just preached today, and we're going to do it with gladness. Come on, I need you to do better than that as you stand to your feet. Here's what I've learned about worship, because worship impacts so many different things in my life. And it's so much bigger than a song or a hand raised. It's a lifestyle that a lot of times when I get worship right, when I get it right, other things in my life begin to work, work themselves out. But worship's so much deeper than a song. It's, it's pushing through the pain. It's, you know, laying something on the altar and saying, God, not my will, but your will. That's worship. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I sense the Holy Spirit in this room today. If you're in this room, heads are bowed and eyes are closed and you say pastor I listened to the songs I watched life change happen I saw people go public with their faith you preach the gospel today and I know that I'm not right with God there's things that I need to lay on the altar I need to get it right I need to repent I need to be saved I need to be changed if that's you I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you're ready to take that next step and say, Jesus, I'm going to make you the Lord of my life. I'm submitting my life to you. If that's you, right there where you are, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, you're talking to me, Pastor. I want to submit my life to Jesus. Thank you for this hand over here. I see that hand over here. Keep it up high. Another one back here, another one back here. I see those hands. I see another one just popped up right there. see those four, five, five hands over here, maybe six. I see those hands. Just raise them high. Our compass directors are coming to you as quickly as possible. Anyone else, you say, you know what? I, this message was for me. I, I want to follow Jesus. You know, I want to follow him. Anyone else? These moments are the moments that we do everything we do for. It's right here. Life change. 
It's the most important decision you'll ever make is this one. I want us to pray. I know our compass directors are finding you and locating you. If you don't mind, just slip your hand right back up. All those that did that, they're they're not gonna embarrass you. They're just gonna put some information in your hands. Compass directors, that should help you. But I want us, as they're getting some info to them, I want us to pray with them. You say, why are you letting compass directors go over to them? Why are we like bothering them? It's a moment. It is a moment, but I know how the devil works. If they raise their hand, do all this, and then put their hand down and none of us know it, they leave and the devil say nothing happened. We're just ensuring something did happen and you got brothers and sisters in Christ that are not willing to to just let you say, I said a prayer. We want to help you on a discipleship journey. Every voice lifted together. Come on, let's say it out loud where you can hear it with your own ears. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. Forgive me for all my sins. I repent of those sins, and I choose to follow you. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap. You can come on. So good, so good. Here's what I want to do. I want the prayer team to come forward and I want y'all to lock the doors. Nobody's leaving. I'm serious. I'm tired of this. Not in a negative way. I just, I don't want us to treat this moment like we don't need it. This moment, a lot of times, instead of us getting like we we do all this stuff and we preach and we get to the place of response and then we just, we we gone, you know, we gone. And and I, I want you to take a moment today to lean in to say, God, do I need to make a step? Is there an area of repentance or devotion or prayer? Or do I need to put something on the altar? Whatever it may be, I want us to all take a step together today. I want us to all lean in. And so what that means is, is that if you need prayer, we want you to come and find a prayer person to pray with you. But if you don't need prayer, I still want you to come and let's make this time a time of prayer and worship. Is that okay? Y'all still love me? If you don't, you're going to go to hell. All right? You got to love me. Okay? So this altar is going to be open. And as they begin leading, I want us all take a step and say, God, we're leaning in. And, And if you don't need prayer, just come and pray. Can we do that? Is that good with everybody? Can we do that together? Come on, give Jesus the praise if we can do that together. Come on, worship team. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.